This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Gene therapy represents an expanding area of potential to correct and modulate the activities of genes driving diseases. One of the major challenges these groundbreaking technologies face, though, is delivering them to where they need to go within the body to be effective. Nanogenic Solutions believes it solved the problem with its liptide technology that marries a payload-carrying lipid with synthetic peptides that target cell surface receptors, and allow DNA or RNA into the cell. We spoke to Simon Newman, Director of Preclinical Development for Nanogenic Solutions, about the challenges of gene therapy, the liptide technology, and what it could mean for advancing a range of RNA and DNA therapies. Simon, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me to speak today. Well, we're going to talk about gene therapy, the challenges developers of the technology face in delivering it, and, and how your company, Navigenic Solutions, thinks it's solved a big problem. Let's start with gene therapy itself. Broadly speaking, what does it include and what does it seek to do? The main aim for gene therapy is to correct errors within 40 cells. So where a gene contains a mutation or is overexpressed, it's looking in a very targeted way to correct that using DNA or RNA. Since then, though, there's new developments where we're looking also to reprogram normal cells to change their behavior. One example of this is using mRNA vaccines to stimulate an immune response, potentially against cancer cells, for example. While gene therapy holds great promise for potentially curing monogenic diseases, its therapeutic potential is much broader. What do you see the potential for this as a therapeutic approach to not just correct, but perhaps modulate genes? I think the therapeutic approach, as you say, does stretch beyond just the simple classic genetic diseases. I mean, I think the two best examples, obviously, cancer therapy, where one way we can tackle cancer is to use gene therapy to deliver siRNA, is able to down-regulate the expressions of genes highly specifically. So we can do this to knock out, say, an oncogene that's driving cancer growth. So this extends the use of gene therapy into cancer. And then the other way is actually back to vaccines, not only against uh, cancer, but against other diseases. We can use gene therapy to deliver either mRNA or DNA to stimulate the immune system to produce antigens and an immune response against the desired disease or virus. So I think it certainly does extend just beyond the simple genetic rare disorders. Well, there are several challenges to gene therapy, but I think 
What you consistently hear from those working to develop gene therapies is that delivery is the major challenge they face. For a gene therapy to work, where does it have to go and why is it difficult to get there? I mean, starting at the very basics, unfortunately, RNA and DNA are incredibly fragile molecules and our bodies are designed to destroy foreign RNA and DNA. That's a natural defense against viruses and infection. So our body is incredibly good at destroying foreign DNA and RNA that's been introduced. So a key element of any delivery vehicle is protection. And then secondly, you ideally want it only to go to your cell target of choice. So you need to engineer in some mechanism to direct the uptake of your gene therapy to your target cell. And then the final sort of key barrier is lots of vectors have been able to deliver gene therapy into a cell, but they haven't been able to release its payload. So understanding the basic biology of what goes in once inside the cell is important as well. Well, there are a variety of means used to get a payload to the cell using viral vectors, non-viral vectors, chemical vectors. Walk us through the primary approaches and, and the advantages or disadvantages they pose. Okay, so... Viral vectors have been around now for probably 20, 30 years. Because a virus essentially is a natural gene vector. Its role is to deliver its own DNA into your cell. So they're a very good starting point. The advantages of viruses are they're very good at getting into cells and they're very efficient delivery vectors. The downside, and unfortunately it's quite a big downside, is there's a lot of toxicity toxicology still associated, even though we've done a lot of clever biology to try and engineer out the toxicology associated with viral vectors, their production is quite difficult. For sort of a major pharmaceutical company, trying to produce a virus-based product, product is very challenging, the regulation around that is challenging, and also they're really limited to delivering DNA, they're not very capable of delivering RNA products. On the flip side of viral vectors, the other major area, non-viral delivery, has been something called lysosomes. Now, lysosomes are essential a bubble of lipids with the uh, payload inside. So they can protect the payload, they're relatively non-toxic, and they're quite easy to manufacture. The downside has been they're not as efficient at getting into cells as viruses, and actually as clinical trials have progressed now, some of these being in phase three, the other major problem is they all tend to end up in the liver. And you actually, if you look across the biotechnology sector now, see a lot of companies specializing in liver disease. That's simply where their vector goes. It's a convenient solution if only everything was a liver disease. Is There's one other problem with viral vectors, which is the they're kind of a, a one-shot deal given the immune response that they create. Is there alternative approaches that allow for multiple delivery of, of gene therapy? Well, I mean, obviously there is lysosomes which have been used repeatedly, and from our perspective as nanogenic solutions, our customizable product, Liptide, we can use in animals repeatedly with no signs of data for an immune response or an inflammatory response. And what's quite exciting about Liptide is it combines the best of the virus to the best of the lysosome. Well, this is, a, this is a synthetic peptide molecule, Liptide. How does it work? Okay, so as you say, it's a synthetic peptide nanoparticle. 
it's about 60 to 70 percent made of peptide. The peptide serves two functions. It binds the nucleic acid payload, and this can be virtually any type of nucleic acid of virtually any size, and that forms the core of the particle. The other end of the peptide, you can have a targeting sequence which recognizes receptors on the cell type that you're looking to get uptake into. Now, the original invention actually was to create essentially an artificial virus, nucleic acid, surrounded by peptides. And whilst this worked for getting into cells, the problem was it wasn't broken down, so the payload wasn't released. What was actually then added was a small lipid component, comprising about 20% of the final product. And this actually allows it to escape what's called the endosome once inside the cell. The lipid, we have the targeted active uptake mediated by the parking sequence on the peptide and once inside the cell the lipid component to help the payload be released and we've demonstrated quite nicely in vivo this can be delivered systemically so injected or delivered as a nebulized product an airway product potentially for treating diseases such as cystic fibrosis and how customizable is the liptide for targeting it's highly customizable in the sense that if you know what receptors are present on your cell type and you know what peptide sequence recognizes those receptors, that can be engineered into liptide. For our cells, we've looked at different intracrine receptors, which are overexpressed and overexposed to cancer. We've also targeted against receptors that are present in airway epithelial cells for lung diseases. And also for ex vivo work, looking at actually transfecting vein grafts for arterial bypass surgery. But within reason, it is limitless, the number of variations around that target sequence you can actually do. On top of customizing the peptide component, you can also actually fine tune the small lipid component to optimize the DNA or RNA delivery and also improve escape from one side itself. Does this have any potential for treating CNS diseases? Can you get it across the blood-brain barrier or, or dose it intrathecally? Um, in our initial experiments to date, we're doing it systemically. It appears it does not cross the blood-brain barrier. We haven't got final proof that it definitely doesn't. But we have actually done some preliminary studies using a technique called infection-enhanced delivery. And this is a more sophisticated form of essentially direct delivery into the brain. We have actually used this to use an SIRNA-based approach and down-regulated gene involving outside. So it does even have potential to be used in CNS diseases. And what do we know about its performance compared to other vectors at this point? Uh, a direct head-to-head -head is actually very challenging to do, actually. It's obviously most vectors are owned by the companies and trying to set up a direct comparison is challenging. Where we have looked in some of our early in vivo studies, we are seeing in certain cells like deficiency parallel to adenoviruses, one of the most common viral systems. Where we have compared the lysosomes, the big difference we see actually is they're still heading to the liver and liptide heads to the So I think we have a clear advantage there, especially when it comes to cancer studies. And are, are there limits to the payload can carry? I know with some of the, the viral vectors that Sometimes you have a, a DNA sequence that's just bigger than what they can carry. Yeah, that's correct. So with viral vectors, I think adenovirus is about 7 kb, lentivirus might be slightly more than that. 
With Liptide, we've delivered up to 100 kilobases. So actually, an artificial chromosome was actually used in vitro studies. In vivo studies, we've delivered quite large plasmids in excess of what could be packaged by a viral vector. So our in vivo data is anything from a tiny SIR and over a few base pairs up to a very large plasmid DNA plasmid is successfully delivered. And in terms of a safety profile, do we know anything about their activity in man at this point? No, so currently the most advanced product using Liptide is something called ECP-102, which is a chemosensitizer. This is just about to start scale up in July of this year, and formal toxicity studies are planned in 2019. However, to date, in the wide range of in vivo studies we've done, we have not picked up any signals concerns. So we've looked at inflammatory markers, there's been none. When we've looked at immune response, we haven't seen any. And this includes repeat dosing, both repeat airway dosing and repeat IV dosing. To date, we haven't had any concerns about safety. Gene therapy is not just a delivery challenge, it's also a manufacturing challenge. How would a liptide therapeutic be produced, and what kind of a challenge does that provide? Um, it's relatively, I hate to use that word, relatively simple to produce. And at the moment, it's made at our laboratories at University College London. And we're just working with a company called Evonic, who were formerly uh, called Northern Liquid, based in Vancouver. And they're one of the world leaders in sort of lipid formulation drugs. And as I say, we do start scale up in the end of July. Our discussions with them to date suggest this will be relatively easy, very much within their comfort zone. We're not envisaging any specific challenges, certainly no, none of the difficulties associated with viral production. And if I understood correctly, you're not looking to produce therapeutics yourself, but to partner with companies that want to use this technology as a, a delivery platform. What's the business model? Our business model, actually, we do are developing some therapies ourselves, so we are very much a product and platform. That's our lead product is the chemosensitizer. We're also looking at drugs in the neuroblastoma and cystic fibrosis space. But our business platform essentially is to be self-financing by doing license deals with some obviously the large gene editing companies potentially and some of the big pharma for the delivery vehicle. But, you know, keeping those licenses fairly exclusive due to the customizable nature of it side and using the revenue from those deals to fund our products. Now, our product advance, that will obviously validate the platform, adding more value to licenses. With our own products, though, we would be looking to license those out after a phase one, phase two trial with every business statement market ourselves. So as you look at the landscape, where do you see the, the biggest opportunities for the Liptide technology? I think in the short term at the moment, within the whole gene therapy sector, there's a lot of excitement and interest about delivering mRNA. So moving away from DNA-focused gene therapy to mRNA. And I think the two opportunities there are potentially cystic fibrosis. We know Liptide is very good for airway delivery. We want to use mRNA to restore normal protein function. And then the other area which is really taking off is nucleic acid vaccines. So these often give, often give us a simple intramuscular injection. Some companies even use naked mRNA and DNA. And because we don't need to actually transfect 100 to the cells and doing vaccination approaches, I think that could be a really easy area for them to make impression quite early on. 
Simon Newman, Director of Preclinical Development for Natagetic Solutions. Simon, thanks so much for your time today. No trouble at all. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.